Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I'm your host for the Inclusion Bites podcast. In this series, I will be interviewing a number of amazing people and simply having a conversation about the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. That's s-double-e-changehappen.co.uk. You'll be able to catch up with all of the previous shows on iTunes, Spotify, and the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 19, with the title, Creating a Level Playing Field in Attitude and Action. And I have the absolute honor and privilege to be joined by Sarah Bowell. I met Sarah a few years back at a diversity and inclusion event in London, and we've been friends ever since. Sarah describes herself as a trainer, consultant, event organizer, and public speaker. I asked Sarah to describe her superpower, and she said, active listening. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Hi, Joe. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Dave? No, it's absolutely a pleasure. I mean, we've been friends for a long time. So tell me, why is it so important that we need to create this level playing field, both attitude and action? I think that this ties in nicely to the recent um, issue that's been raised by that Lives Matter is that actually we have a systemic issue that is historic and we need to recognise where we stand within that and actually what we can do to empower others as well as ourselves. And I think that people don't realise without questioning themselves where they stand in and on what and what context they can assist with this British movement, let's say. And I think that the the concept to get grounded in is privilege um, on how to use it. Because we talk about privilege day in, day out, and we don't really talk about how we can utilise it. And actually part of part of the um the reason why we we need an equal level is because we're not equal yet. We're not on that playing field. And so when when we use our privilege in in the way that we can, we learn to invest in potential in, in instead of meritocracy. So actually meritocracy only works when we start at that same point. But unfortunately, differences in, in life, in, in support, in disability, in, in difference, does not allow that equalness to play out. We live in an unequal world. And we need to champion and and support and encourage and invest in potential as opposed to always thinking about where we are actually at. That makes sense. It does. And <laughs> you're you're definitely pushing some of my, my favourite buttons here and, and things I talk about. And uh, let's me, let me go back. You, you, you mentioned about privilege. What does privilege mean to you uh, as a white girl Was it or a white woman? What does that mean to you? I think that my own privilege is that, yes, I'm white. And yes, I'm, I have an education and... I actually have a voice, and although my voice isn't, you know, <laughs> I've got a speech impairment, obviously, I meant to, meant to prefer, um, meant to say that beforehand, but actually, yeah, I have a, I have a speech impairment, which does, which does bring up my, my, 
what is meant like and not equal. But let's go back to privilege a minute. So my privilege is that I I can I have a monumental um monumental part of privilege is knowing where to invest your in your in potential in the world. And I feel that my my privilege I discuss and talk about and and push for change around things that are unequal. And I push for systemic change because there's too much um too, too much of of a, of a difference to even think about being an equal painter yet. And so I use my voice, my platform to empower other people to raise their voice as well and, and let them be heard. And and I speak on behalf of those who do not feel confident enough to speak. And I speak for those who do not feel like they can. Um, and I represent speech impairment. You know, I, I am terrified of speaking um, in recorded sessions. I like this one, actually. But I feel that my passion overrides my um my fear and the investment if you like is to is more than my own negativity. It is it's much more so this is much more important than thinking about my own speech and how I'm coming across because the message is so important. Um so that's how I navigate my privilege in a bit. Um, but there's still a lot more to go, much, much to do in my own head. Um, but I do think that if we can, you know, ground some, some of the elements of privilege that we hold and put those into action to try and make a culture which does raise up others to an equal, um, we, we can start there. No, yeah, I mean, I understand completely. Um, what I found sometimes is that when you challenge somebody and, and, and say they're privileged or you say, uh, have you checked your privilege or do you understand your privilege? People get very defensive, don't they? When they, they ask to think about the privilege they have, almost saying that they don't feel they have a privilege. So what would you say to them? I'm careful, I'm careful to avoid the direct question because you're right, that can cause a conflict. And actually that conflict goes like that uncomfort in the conversation can put a pause on rapport. And so through building rapport and trust, um, in proactive engagement, let's say, um, builds that that level of trust to enable us to have that conversation. And I think that it's important to point out it's like bias, isn't it? By unconscious bias is not a negative thing necessarily. And privilege is not a negative thing, but people are uh, people associate the word bias or the word privilege with negativity. When actually, it's it's the opposite, and we can utilize our privilege in a positive way to shift culture forward. 
And so I, I try not, I, I avoid direct questions because of the want to build an, a relationship before going deeper. Because I think that's, I think that's very important for people to have that level of trust and level, level of understanding before going into, going, going into too much, uh, about that. Because I think it is a triggering thing, the people, isn't it? It is. And, and especially surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement, it's become, and, and, and too right, you know, Black Lives Matter has, has, has finally you know, become global um, thing and finally, you know, finally this, this tra- tragedy after tragedy we see in, in the world was, was, was blind eye to it. You know, there was a blind eye as a bystander effect there. And now it's, it's not too much. Now there's an anti-racism movement rather than Ignorance rather than turning away. Um, but it's learning how to implement day to day strategies that enable and empower systemic change. Um, and, and don't just pay lip service to that. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, I think you're right. It's, it is about recognizing it's a systemic cultural change that needs to occur, not ju- not just in the individual of someone who's privileged. Because I think most of the pushback you often get is, well, I- I'm not racist, but it's a, as you said, it's about being anti-racist. It's about being proactive in your your passion and your advocacy and stepping up and stepping forward or leaning in, as, uh, as the saying goes, to, to give support to people. Not just in, when we're talking about racism, when we're talking about attitudes towards disability or whatever that exactly. may be. Is that- yeah. And, and I think that that's no more like clear than talking about inequality in a, in a general sense. Because actually, when, when we look at, you know, disability, I, mean, I, I obviously I have a disability. Um, and, but I bought to go to a mainstream school. And so because I knew that I wanted an education, because I knew of negativity and the fight that you have from the start, when you, when you start at a different, where their starting lines aren't the same. And, and so having that knowledge, having that experience does give huge, um, the gift of empathy. You get empathy from that and you learn to empathize with difference. You learn to empathize with People who experience maybe different, different, different challenges, but but a challenge nonetheless, and and encouraging people to be that fantastic person they can be is all part of it, and 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 to to, to learn this to to learn. How you learn best, how we can support you best, how you communicate in your way best. These are all things that we learn through a dialogue, a, a report, not through, um, lip service, not through talking about it and actually having that open conversation with someone about how they would like to be known as like what what who they want to be called. Okay? These are all questions that we can ask. 
people to learn about them as individuals and create their individual story for that. And so that, that's how we, we can support people by learning about them and learning about what works for them and tailoring to that. And then that, that enables them, that puts them on a pedestal, not a pedestal, um, a, you know, that, that gives them that boost because they're learning how they learn. They're finding ways they need, they need support. If you encourage that open dialogue, that open conversation, and you have you listening to, that's a brilliant, brilliant way of, of not only building a person's confidence, but learning about yourself and learning about what differences you can do in your life. And so it's, mm. I'm talking on, on and but it's a really, it's about empowerment and change, isn't it? Oh, for, for sure. Yeah, it, it is. And, being personally accountable for change, isn't it? It's rather than saying it's somebody else's problem, I could be the one as well. Um, we we yeah. see that in other aspects of our life. When we talk about sustainability, we talk about environmental, we talk about other things that we can take personal responsibility for in terms of our own footprint. And we could, we have to do the same in terms of our impact on others as well, don't we? Of course. And, and that's really... That's part of the ownership within the, the personal development part of this. You know, it's owning what you can do for people, owning what you can do for yourself. And and when we when we when we are put at a level of discomfort, when we push through that discomfort. Um, and, and learn and learn lessons about ourselves. We learn more about others by doing that. For sure. Let me ask you a couple of uh, couple of questions. I was talking yeah, to somebody yesterday. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and we were talking about positive action and tokenism in in hiring. And they sent me a question, which was: There's two candidates. One is a, an able-bodied white man and the other person is a, a person with a disability and they both have equal skills to prayer. So, so in terms of positive action, why should they pick the disabled person, the person with a disability? And, and their argument was that the person without a disability would be easier to hire, but we want to challenge that, don't we, when we're looking at this I mean, I, I, I don't think it's about easy to hire. I think it's about not wanting to change the status quo. And, and, and that's what challenge brings you. You have to change the mold. And, and that's what people are, start, are starting to see now. That's what, we all have something to bring to a role, you know. And positive action is a a good thing if if it's if it is um if it's fully understood because positive action some people see political action as um, an, an unfair thing, um, or a, a a shift in in inequality. But actually, the rubbish in here. I'm going to stop for a minute while the rubbish. Don't worry, don't worry. We've had we've had people's mums on the conversation in the past, so <laughs> okay. it's, it's okay. It's uh, uh, the worst timing. Just... Oh, I know. <laughs> At least it's not the Amazon man. I know. <laughs> so it's the Amazon man or the Amazon person. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, it's, 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 this is this timing is perfect, isn't it? Yeah. 
Uh, this is an, an inclusive podcast. We're, we're open to all contributions from all people, so don't worry about your the rubbish man. No, I hope you don't go away quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's okay. You're, you're clear now. Go for it. Okay. I, I won't, it might come back for more. Hang on, listen there. You got a lot of rubbish. Right <laughs> out of my window, right out in the end. Yeah. So this is just to prove to everybody that this podcast is live and raw. You know, we don't uh, we don't mess around with lots of edits and cuts. This is uh, kind of as it happens. We we roll as we roll, don't we? Yeah. So. Well, apparently, yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, right. um, yeah. I think that migrating away. I think hopefully. Um, but I think that's an important part. Of we've lesson we've learned in this lockdown that we have to bring our whole self to work, and what that means our whole home environment and exactly. to, to sort of. Start judging people on their background, on Zoom calls, that the, their, their children, their pets, or other things going on in the background. I think we've got to learn to get over that now because well, this also, is the reality. I mean, the part of that which affects me, my, um, I host a as a peer to peer support group, and I've been doing it for. Um, ever since COVID um, took hold, um, a weekly support group, and we have to navigate slow internet. We have to navigate, you know, people walking around and <laughs> with a with important things to say. And actually, we just have to fight through the the you know interference and and listen to whatever we have to say despite their you know circumstance and um yeah that is challenging because some people are walking around and you get kind of interruptions from left right and center and it's really challenging but they also have really important things to say and and you just have to try really hard to hear them um, and that is challenging <laughs> but yeah um, so, so oh. you hear a lot you hear a lot of people saying that uh, it's much easier for people who are disabled or with a disability whichever phrase you like to use whichever terminology now we're in lockdown you're working in your home environment therefore your environment is geared around your accessibility needs is is that true, or are we just generalising that it's going to be better for people with disabilities to work from home? I think in 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 and then I <laughs> this is a complicated question, though. Actually, access and inclusion are very different things, and although yes, um, it can be more accessible to work from home for um, disabled people, people with disabilities. But the isolation factor, the the, um, the other things surrounding inclusion, the culture, the Understanding and you know, the, the trust, you know, doing what we said before, asking no questions, making sure support is, is there and, and making sure we have all we need to, that we have all the equipment we need to pursue in a comfortable way. I think that that's where we see positive um shift with this with COVID. Um and I recently wrote, wrote an article about this. Um it was called Silver Lining of a pandemic, you know, um highlighting the almost inadvertent um inclusive nature of workforces that has had to come about, you know, because people have children, people have um people to take care of, people have different and um, require flexible working patterns, you know, 
surrounding COVID, there's been so many conversations surrounding empathy, you know, being empathetic to our workforce because of this change. And I think that's a very positive thing. Um, we have to grasp it, take hold, and enhance it. Um, as we move forward, now we're becoming a little bit more um, connected again. We have to make sure that those um, those engage, proactive engagement with people, the proactive um, empathetic method we, we've had to take over the past four months to enable people to work from home, to enable people to work around their children, to enable things to continue, there has to have been that empowerment, trust, engagement to respond to the crisis. And that can create a more cohesive, more collaborative approach to navigating this, this pandemic. And, and so we need to take things from our lessons that are learned in, in the cultural shift we've had to go along, you know, and, and ensure we don't, we don't forget then moving forward in practice. Um, and how we can continue to support people, how we can continue to ask and engage in the right way to enable people to do their best job and reach potential. Yeah, I, I, I hear everything you're saying there. And I think there's a danger that, let's say, employers as a, as a, as a, as a grouping can often look at a disabled person or a person with disability and, and assume their disability is this defining factor. So by saying, um, our, our great member of staff here is working from home, they're okay now. But what we're, no, what we're actually not doing is looking at that person in a person-centric, holistic way. So actually this person, what's their family situation? Um, going out, maybe it was their lifeline. They're living in isolation now. They're not having social contact. Uh, maybe they, they, they love that extrovert bubbly personality and they're, they're really struggling for being isolated at home. So by, by just categorizing someone as a person with a disability, disabled person, they must be better off now they're at home because it's more accessible. As you say, it's forgetting that inclusion element about understanding them as a human being, isn't it? And I think that that's something that we, and as you said, that's so crucial. Um, the, the proactive things we've been talking about are all ways to um, respond actively to someone's needs in order to support them from home or in the workplace. And I think that the, the going back to positive action and why we, why we retire someone who has equal sort of qualifications and equal experience, let's not forget that there's actually a very unequal part of that. The part we do not see. Because actually disabled people with disabilities, um disabled people, I mean I, for example, I go through a huge um navigation of problem solving before I even leave the house. And Going through that um, all day, every day in in our heads, this problem solving, um, problem solving um, mechanism that is completely unseen that makes us actually probably better for a job. But actually, we have the ability to problem solve in record time we do it all the time and that's the part that is not seen that is incredibly well hidden within a lot of people who are going through either cognitive or you know, social disability or physical disabilities there's so much not seen that we inadvertently 
put in on a level playing field with someone who's equally qualified and equally experienced. But actually, I would argue that that's actually probably not true. So what you see on SPV and what someone thought about and, and, and how you actually got there is a very different story. And, and that's what I would encourage people to think more about and internalize and think a lot about because actually personal development and meritocracy do not go hand in hand if any, anyway, actually they do, a person's ability starts at a much different point and has to elevate themselves in order to be that equal in that envy. You always have to do more. You always have to set yourself at a higher standard and, and knowing that going in. I know whenever I interviewed before, I started my own business and before I went into life for myself. I knew every interview I had to be that much more qualified, that much more valued, that much more experience. Because unfortunately, so many interviewers and recruiters do not see your background, do not see your challenging fight. To get to, to the equal, equal, you know, so it's yeah, a, a challenge for people. I think that's very common. I mean, we don't always see the lived experience of a parent and the valuable skills that being a parent, having a child, nurturing and developing a child, the educational aspect, the that uh, that paternal and maternal instincts that kick in when you have children that, that should be seen as a life skill as well because it breeds emotional intelligence it breeds a different way of treating people and understanding people and you get involved with far more than someone who isn't a parent and often age brings experience okay age can bring stick in the mud as well but age does bring experience and, and we all too often write people off in their early 50s when they've still got 20 good years of uh of valuable skills to, and and lived experience to bring to the office haven't they yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about that, what you did set up, the differences and, and every, every element of diversity brings something new, brings something that hasn't been thought of before, brings something that is of value, but it only comes into effect when we Utilize strategic, inclusive processes. That mm. actually, if we can be as diverse a workforce as we can get without inclusion, we will not see the value of that. And um, so that's the importance. What I recognize anyway, the importance of inclusion. And diversity, they have to go hand in hand in order to get the most value out of that diversity. And that, that's where the real crux of the conversation happens. Because actually, you can hire the person with a disability, but that's where the challenge starts because you have to then operate include inclusive leadership and you and that's the point where you're put to test because only only hiring someone with difference is positive and diverse but Utilizing that positivity and diversity all comes with this understanding that difference brings innovation, difference can bring worth. 
we have to understand how we can support this person, how they best communicate their ideas, how they best learn, what time they are they better working in, what time, what, what, what structure work for them, what hours they are not able to function in, or whatever it might be, there's a level of proactive engagement that needs to start right there when you hire someone. From that point, not six months down the line, not at the next review, not, you know, at a KPI performance review, not then, no, it, it starts at recruitment. It starts when you hire someone. And this is what you know, a lot of people fear the most. This is what people hide behind a questionnaire with. But, and what I've been developing over the last few months is actually a, um, a, question, a holistic approach questionnaire that starts at induction, that starts at that point to learn, to build rapport, to learn how this person can bring value without the fear, without the dread, without the end. And it's a two-way conversation that doesn't end at the end of that meeting. It continues. We, we, we develop this, we develop our rapport, develop our conversation and that questionnaire that like you work, you co-create with this person will end up being their passport, like their, their method to get their best value out of themselves, reach a potential in the full knowledge of the person who manage them, a person who works for them, works with them most. That's when you get equal partnership. That's when you get an equal playing field. That's when you get that support needed to equalise and, and transform your, your, the workplace and the culture. That's where that comes in. Yeah. Yeah. So- Excellent points, excellent points. And I'm, and I'm, as I'm listening to that, what I'm hearing and thinking about, you know, we're going back to the original questions about creating this level playing field, uh, in action actions. And I, I think you'll probably agree with me, or I hope you do, that one of the things that is important is visible people, visible visibility and, and role models. I mean, I know we don't like the word brave. We don't like the word role models often, but we, we do need people in the public eye who have representation of me, if you like. Uh, I was looking at LinkedIn the other day and there's this article about the BBC and how they have are proactive in their amplification and visibility of people with disability. Um, of, they, they suffered a lot in the last 10, 20 years of being seen as a very monoculture, very white, middle, upper class organization. And they've put some real proactive measures in place now. And I, and I would say that from my own perspective, the BBC are quite a good benchmark and litmus test for what a good company it looks like in terms of their attitude and culture. I mean, do you have a view on that? Wow. Okay. So I actually disagree with that. Um, not, not wholeheartedly. Um, I actually think Channel 4, um, present a much better working model of inclusion and diversity. Um, the BBC m- may have improved over the years, yes. Um, but there is, as with so many big organisations, there is the tiers, tiers of hiring and at what level. 
and the proportionality of the the proportionality of management compared to um, entry level recruitment, or compared to the um, space for going up in this organisation, is has has yet to develop. Working, I believe, working strategies that effectively improve the span of diversity throughout the hierarchy. When Channel 4 come in, um, they've had a diverse board for years. They've hired diverse, um, they've hired diverse um, diverse people at all levels of management of seniority in the board across countries, and so mm. and their their approach, kind of approach, and their their five year plan like looked much more inclusive. I would argue, than the BBC's. Um, I, I had a meeting with the BBC a couple of years ago, and I got senior executives in the room, um, and I was talking about unconscious bias, and they were all very positive in the room about what they could, what I could do for them, how I could help support their changes and implement change. But at the very end, I got passed on to disability department, if you like, and with their, um, I would argue the top, Target kind of targeted um, hiring strategy of the same people which I at that time disagreed with um, because it was very much a divisive um, program, I felt. And these Although they were offered a contract for a year to learn, there was no um, further window for experience beyond that. And that demonstrates what we've just been saying about the danger of co-interaction without a thought-out plan. And there are Going back to speech impairment, you know, there are so few people, role models out there. At management, senior management, director, director levels, it's not seen often. And this is where I see my privilege coming out because I, Although I hate the, I hate the way I talk. I hate that that's a difference for me, and that is still something I'm working on. And it's thirty two years later, you know, that's still something I'm working on. Um, to feel comfortable in the way that I talk. But if I wasn't there, here doing what I'm doing as part of my business and my and my um moral bible like to be that role model for someone without with a speech impairment who doesn't feel confident to be in a place of work and that is not surprising because actually so many work workplaces do not know what to do with speech impairment. And when people don't know what to do, they avoid it. They avoid it. 
and they'll come up with five excuses for not hiring someone, legit, perhaps. But their real reason, perhaps, is their fear of the unknown and not having the resources, the questions, the right tools to enable that person to feel comfortable and do their job well. And that's where the barrier comes down. And we we have to continue, as you said, the, the being a role model for people who are not confident, are not, um, do not feel able to do that themselves. So, I mean, you were talking about speech impairment and how it's a significant barrier both to you and to people with speech impediments in the workplace. Um, What's your thoughts about the why? Is it because people haven't got the patience to listen to you actively or is it because people assume because you have a speech impairment that you're less intelligent or is it a bit of both or a bit of everything? It depends hugely on who you're talking to. But I think, yes, it's a combination. It's it's because there are so few um, resources on this. There's so few people saying, right, this is what to do here. That's why there's that fear, you know, and there's that barrier in understanding whether it's something to do with if, if a person, pref- I want to talk about preference now, Jake, preference in communication method is something that I'm probably passionate about, and actually, we talk about preference and um and empowerment when it comes to gender and being wanting to be referred to as um as a gender you identify as um and so that question is out there that that question about hey what 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 do you prefer? to be referred to as. Once that's known, brilliant. Yeah, not not brilliant, but that's an unknown entity that you prefer or that you would like to be referred to as a woman, let's say. Okay? And when we ask the question, okay, so what's your preferred method of communication? That opens up so many doors because actually a person can then say, oh, well, I might not be confident in speaking, but I have great ideas that I want to communicate via email. Or I have brilliant ideas, but I'm, un- I'm uncomfortable speaking in front of a whole room of people. Can we chat in a, in a small group? These are things that can encourage people to think about how best they do things and how confident they can be in getting a job done when they're given that option. And I think that's a huge question that isn't asked enough. Uh, I believe that if that question were asked by employers, it would get much more out of people than they do. And that's not just people's speech patterns, that's anybody. It's, it's about being yeah, person-centric, isn't it? Yeah. We're being um, inclusive. We mean, ask somebody, yeah, what can we do to help you? What could what yeah. can we do to make you succeed or help you succeed? Yeah. And and the point that this brings up is that actually that conversation doesn't stop you know, there. If someone says no or oh, I don't know yet, or whatever. That's part of personal development and actually knowing that stuff can come about through 
learning about themselves. So don't expect an archer right away. You might, you might not get one. You might get a haphazardly taught out one. But what what you what you want to do is open up the dialogue, enable that individual to feel uncomfortable, and work it out. Work out how they work work best. Work out whether a flexible schedule works for them. Work out what what time of day they best work. Like, we, we were saying before, don't worry about we both, us both, we, we both um, work better in the afternoon. And so why push ourselves to sit in front of a computer staring at a blank, blank screen for hours and actually, if we work better and more productively in a concentrated burst in the afternoon, we get might get much more done and feel less frustrated and feel much more um, content with ourselves and a much higher level of well-being if we work that out and we follow that follow that in the way we work. And that's all about making workplaces, workforces, workplaces a much more agile environment, flexible, working out, using using space to work it out. And it will change over time. So you open and continue and leave open that dialogue. Oh, for sure. Uh, <clears throat> it's, it's making me think about, uh, are we... Are we actually getting anywhere? You know, we've, we've got all these positive action campaigns. We've got all this awareness. We've got, we've got more hashtags than we can count now. We've got the movements. We've got passionate people. We've got visibility. But are we really, really making a lot of difference? Are we getting anywhere, do you think? I think it's taking time. But actually, when, and this is, this is the real, Silver lining and of this, this, this combination of challenges that we have been working through, um, since COVID, um, came into our lives. And actually, the, the importance, um, of inclusive practice and the urgency of inclusive practice when we began lockdown companies, organizations, businesses around the world had to change ways of doing things and that happened very fast because they had to and the urgency of all that drove this monumental change a shift in all practices in almost remarkably fast because the importance of change and the urgency of change for the first time, I believe, became equal. And so the change that was urgently needed came to, came to fruition. And to me, that just demonstrated that we, that workforces where who can, are able to change. But the urgency of it all to happen before COVID, before pandemic, wasn't urgent enough. And so what I'm trying to say here is that I think more change has happened over the past four months than decades because they've had to do it in order to continue business. And that means changing up your communication changing up your flexibility, changing up your um, working from home. Hey, 
takes up your interest in well-being because people working from home will immediately kind of being thought of, oh, okay, is that person right there? You know, are they, have they got what I need? Let's have a conversation. Okay, and, and inadvertently created flexibility, trust, empowerment, autonomy, carefully choreographed, but they had to accommodate the, you know, the changing climate and the work-life balance, you know, has had to change and it's become paramount in our, you know, inclusive initiatives have inadvertently become paramount in everyday working, which is awesome. And I think that that's a really, really cool collaborative, cohesive effect of navigating this pandemic, you know, utilizing and generating technical, creating a technical transformation, really, about how we work. Brilliant. Amazing. You know, that's what we've been trying to do for years. And finally, it's coming out of the woodwork. Proactive engagement's happening. Empathy's happening. You know, all of these things which we've been fighting for for years and years are actually starting to show their worth. And I think it's important to remember, I'll be going back round to sort of circle almost, the start of this internet, sort of our little chat here. It, it is possible to do this. You know, mm. Yes, some jobs are not possible to do working at home. And people have been really challenged there. And we recognise privilege with that like never before. You know? And I just think it's really important to remember what went on and what's going on here in the work, in the, in the workforce change, in the workplace change, the dynamic change that has to continue. And I do think that that is able to continue. We need to, we need to grip, hold tightly of what we've learned here. We can't let it go because like the Olympics, when the Olympics came to London, Joe, you know, for a three-month period, you know, we saw access in London. You know, brilliant. Oh, that's it. That's an accessible station. Excellent. You know, that, that means that people can navigate around London easier. But when the mentality dropped, when the morale of the Paralympics dropped, in London, attitudes dropped as well. People forgot the empowerment and forgot the awesome people who were in Paralympics in London. You know? And when we know more than ever, don't we? The, the maintaining that momentum, maintaining that attitude of a positive. Right. It's crucial to maintaining changes that are happening and to ensure they're happening in the right way. And it yeah, all comes no. back to engagement, proactive engagement. Yeah, definitely. And I've heard that said before about that London, how it had all this potential and then it hasn't carried the momentum on and austerity and other things kicked in, but... Yeah, there's, there's no excuses. We, we, we started making great progress. I, I think you're right about the, uh, the change within COVID is that we've gone from a, a, a country full of organizations, maybe in the world where we started from a can't, we can't do that. We can't do this. All these reasons about security, about too hard to manage or we can't trust you. We've gone from that really attitude overnight to we have to and we are. Yeah. And I, I really hope that we don't end up sliding back into the old ways where people go back to us and get, get complacent again and go, Oh, good. We got our office back. We're going to carry on. But I'd like to think personally that people power 
will now kick in and we'll say, we know what it's like now. We know that we can do this. Let's carry on. And I, and I, think, I think we're already seeing the shift in some major organizations. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. They're going to continue their continuous work from home policy forever and uh, make, make flexible work in the norm. And I, and I think that's, that's to be applauded. So tell me, you, you've got, you've got lots of things coming up. You were telling me earlier that you've got lots of things you're doing, you're working on. So what are you up to? Uh, so, um, oh, can I just say one more thing and we'll probably forget it? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, go for it yeah. But this is it on this. We, um, we, we, originally, the strategic change that happened in the first two months, like two weeks, first month of COVID was putting out fires, right? It was putting out fires and testing the waters and beginning to embed. But now, reaction has stopped and response has kicked in. And embedding these innovative solutions that affect change. So it's all about when we were putting out fires and testing the waters, it was here a temporary thing, right? But it's been going on for so long now. Actually, what you said, right, it's starting to embed, it's starting to become less reactive, more responsive, and therefore more inclusive. So to ask you, answer your other question about what's going on with me right now, I'm developing um, guidelines to support inclusive online events and meetings to make um, it's a guidance book really guidance on how to make um, online meetings inclusive um, through a physical sense but also through what we can do around communication in, in that angle and so I'm, I'm developing these guidelines and I'm hosting an event. Um, the date is to be confirmed yet, as yet, but um, it's a communication event focused on engagement and I'm very excited to have from across the board different Hugely different challenges, um, and what people bring, um, brought to light and how we can get around the issues that we face, um, through engagement, um, challenges we face in engagement and communication to overcome those challenges through developing systems that, that work for people um, and not having to change themselves but have the technology adapt to what they need um, in, in a way of you know, making inclusive practices, mental health, well-being, you know, surrounding communication, like anxiety. Anxiety is a massive thing that's not associated much with um, communication, but anxiety is a huge thing that isn't thought about enough surrounding engagement. Um, and I, I go into, in the guidelines, I provide concrete examples, tangible, actionable examples of how we can do that better and how we can better support others in this online work, cultural space we're trying to shift. So that's really exciting. But yeah, yeah it sounds awesome. I'm really looking, forward to, really looking forward to finding out more about that as it evolves. Um, I, mean, this, I mean, you've shared some amazing thoughts today and yeah, some real depth of understanding and, and insight into how organisations can uh, engage better with people, isn't it? And just trying to level this playing field as you talked about. So, how do people get in touch with you if they want to? Uh, if they want to find out more about your, what you're doing, or, or just look at the work you've been doing? Great. So, I have a website. It's um, 
server or local UK, and that has information on um, what I offer, so strategic um, inclusive consultancy. I offer um, in, in all areas of strategy, really, recruitment, um, personal development, um, engagement, you know, communication, um, strategic change. I offer multiple training courses on unconscious bias, disability, I cover in depth, um, and able to create bespoke training courses for tailored to your, you know, and um, your organizational needs. Um, I cover mental health quite in depth. I, um, I'm, I'm, my, obviously my events are, um, publicized there. I have a Twitter handle, um, at inclusion underscore SB. Um, and my email is Sarah Burrell, Sarah, um, hang on. <laughs> um, inclusion at Sarah Burrell.co.uk. That's yeah, the one I said. Uh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right yeah. <laughs> and, and Burrell is B U R R E L Sarah Brilliant. Yeah. I'll make sure okay. all those details will be in the show notes. So people who want to look you up can, can get hold of those from the show notes. And, uh, well, thank you. It's been an inspiration. Um, it's so much we packed in there. It's been, well, I can't believe we've been talking for over an hour. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> I know. so huge thanks to the, to the listeners. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you'll agree. There's plenty to ponder there. Uh, so if, if you're listening, please do subscribe to keep updated on future episodes of the Inclusion Bites podcast. That's B-I-T-E-S. Please tell your friends, tell your colleagues. I assume you have some and get them to subscribe as well. Uh, please do share this on, on social media platforms. I've got a number of exciting guests lined up that I'm sure you'll be inspired by over the next few weeks and months. And if you'd like to be a guest, let me know. If you'd like to be sitting in the hot seat and having a conversation with me, then brilliant, get in touch. Uh, I'd also welcome any feedback and suggestions you might have for future shows and how we can improve to Joe Lockwood, Joe.Lockwood at ccentappen.co.uk. So my name is Joanne Lockwood, and it's been an absolute pleasure to host this podcast for you today. Catch you next time. Bye.